Have you ever asked the question, why am I me? Why am I who I am? I mean, seven billion people on this earth, why am I me? Why am I who I am? Now, some things that bother me about who I am is my memory. Now, why do they take and put water and letter? One has two T's and one has one T. Which one is it? Is it letter with two T's or water with two T's? You're supposed to remember those things. Now, Pastor Brian, he, he just drives me crazy. Pastor Brian, he hears something once, he's got it. We'll be talking about a certain passage of Scripture. He says, well, that's about the third chapter of this book, uh, about the fourth verse. I can't remember what book it's in. Forget what chapter and verse. And then he can preach sermons like, because of his memory, it just really helps him preach really good sermons. Why, why can't I have a memory like Pastor Brian's? Or music. Mark Amonrude. All you know him. How many instruments does Mark Amonrude play? Quite a few of them. And he can sing. Now, my musical ability is the radio. Maybe. <laughs> if it doesn't have too many buttons. And he, Jim was talking about leading music because nobody else would, so we had to do something. But our church in Frenchtown, Gene Clyatt, our choir director, said, Jim, we need some more men in the choir. Would you sing in the choir? Oh, yeah, you bet. About the third practice, he came up to me quietly and said, Jim, maybe you ought to try something else. <laughs> but then, why did I have the privilege of being born, and I don't mean sexist on this, male, white, Pacific Northwest of America? Why wasn't I born female, black, in a Muslim country where I'd be no more than just a piece of property? Uh, why did I have the privilege of hearing the gospel when I was 12 years old? Now, we lived in Northern California, down in a mining community. Had a little one-room schoolhouse. Most we ever had in the whole school was 12 kids. And one summer, two men from Klamath Falls, Oregon, two young, single guys working in a sawmill, had some vacation time. So they decided to take their vacation and come down to this little mining community and hold a vacation Bible school for two weeks. I wasn't going to go. It was vacation time. I wasn't going to school. My mom said I was, so I did. And these two men, instead of taking their vacation time going hunting or something important like that, went down and taught a vacation Bible school to a dozen snot-nosed mining town brats. Several years later, we sat down and added up everybody that we knew, those that we knew, who had accepted Christ because of that vacation Bible school, the number was over 100. These two men, did they have any idea what their results of that vacation Bible school was going to be? To a bunch of little grade school brats. Why did I have the privilege of always going to churches where God's word was preached? Where it was taught well? Why did I have the privilege of being able to go to Bible school for a year? After high school, I was a young 17, getting ready to go in the service, and our youth sponsor said, why don't you go to Bible college? What's Bible college? Well, I went to Multnomah School of the Bible in Portland for a year. 
and then went into service. How many here like to do jigsaw puzzles? Now, when you do a jigsaw puzzle, can you take and put this piece over here? No, each piece has its place, right? And if you're putting it together, a jigsaw puzzle has been put together more than once. It's just about guaranteed there's going to be some what? Pieces missing. How come? I don't know. Murphy's Law. <laughs> you know, I am the way I am. I am who I am because that is the way God wanted me. I like to compare life to a big, gigantic, dynamic, ever-changing jigsaw puzzle. It's a big puzzle. God's the artist. He paints this puzzle, but it's not a fixed deal. It's an ever-changing puzzle. This piece today, maybe a piece over here tomorrow. But each one of us is formed by God, just like the maker of that puzzle. He takes each piece and he makes it so it won't fit any place else. Each piece is unique. It's different. You can't take the piece that belongs here, say, well, I want to put it over here today. It doesn't fit. Each piece is where God wanted it to be. I am the way I am. I am who I am because that is the way God wanted me in that gigantic, dynamic, ever-changing, jigsaw puzzle picture of life. Psalms 139.13. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Even before we were born, it said God formed us in our mother's womb. Isaiah 43.7. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, when I have, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Isaiah 44.2. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb. Jeremiah 1.5. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things. Isaiah 44.24. Now when God says something once, it should get our attention. When he says it twice, pay real close attention. When he says it five or six times, he has a purpose in saying that. Isaiah 44, 24. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That word formed is an interesting word. It's not just outside looks. It's what, a word that we would often use, a pharmacist would use, formulated. Put it together in a specific way, a specific pattern. The molecules in my brain, the way they work, was formulated by God before I was born. Every part of me, my heritage, my height, my memory, or lack thereof, every part of me was formulated by God. Why? For a very specific purpose that he wanted me to fulfill. The story is told of a Scottish preacher. He was in a little Scottish village for many, many years. As he got close to retirement, they were having a retirement party for him, and somebody asked him, in all your years here, have you ever led anyone to Christ? No. Nope. Never led anyone to Christ. 
Yeah, there was. There was one wee little lad one time that I led to Christ, but that's all. In all my years here, I just that one wee little lad is all I led to Christ. History shows that that one wee little lad went on to become a great evangelist and led thousands to Christ. That Scottish preacher, yeah, he was just an obscure piece over here in the puzzle, doing what God had designed him to do, to lead that one person to Christ so that he could influence thousands. Stephen Brenda Fawcett, our pastors with the uh, Rocky Mountain Bible Mission, at one time they were pastoring in Lincoln. Well, my wife and I were driving through Lincoln. I don't remember why. But we decided to stop at the little burger joint there and grab something to eat. As we pulled in there, there were Steve and Brenda Fawcett. And so we, hi, Steve. Hi, Brenda. We'd known him for a long time. And so we sat down with him and visited for a while. Just as we got ready to leave that day, so, oh, by the way, Steve, we really appreciate your ministry up at the camp, Camp Upmost. He said, oh? I said, yeah, our son, Steve Fawcett, had been a wrestler. Our son, Stephen, was a wrestler. And Steve had been a real encouragement to our son at camp, just really an encouragement to her. And so we just said, thank you. We really appreciate the encouragement you were to our son. Okay, went on our way. Well, a couple years later, they asked my wife to speak at a ladies' retreat with the Rocky Mountain Bible Mission. Well, Brenda Fawcett was on the planning committee. And that day, when she was on the planning committee and they said they wanted Linda, she said, hey, I want to introduce Linda. Oh, no big deal, okay. Well, when she introduced Linda at that ladies' retreat, she said that that day when we met them in Lincoln, that morning they had made up their mind, they were resigning from the ministry, they were done. They weren't going anyplace, they weren't having any effect on anybody, they were finished, they were resigning from the ministry. When we met them there in that cafe in Lincoln, Montana, I didn't preach a Pastor Brian sermon. I didn't sing a Mark Umrud song. All we did was say, thank you. That changed their ministry. They're still in the ministry today. How many people have they influenced? That day, I was just that one little piece up here that said thank you. That's all. Nothing great. Nothing spectacular. I am the way I am. I am who I am because that is the way God wanted me. <clears throat> In that gigantic, dynamic, ever-changing jigsaw puzzle picture of life, am I being faithful to do that which God formulated me to be? I don't know how many of you here know Chaplain Warren Hebert. He's a neat guy. He tells the story that one time his job is to go in when somebody has problems to be there for the family, while well, this kid had committed suicide. His dad was upstairs when Warren walked in. The dad was standing there. The kid was in the basement. The police were down there doing an investigation because they have to make sure it wasn't murder or something like that. And when Warren walked in, the dad saw him, saw the cross, and said, I don't want any of you religion. Get out of here. Warren just stood to one side, didn't say a word, just stood there. The father was very nervous, trying to figure out what was going on downstairs because he wasn't allowed down there. Finally, Warren said, 
would you like me to go downstairs and see how everything is going? Yeah, if you would. So Warren went down, talked to the police, said, okay, it's going to be about this much longer. Came up and told the father it's going to be some more time. Stepped off to the side, never said a word. Finally, he asked the guy, would you like a drink of water? The guy said, yeah. He went over and got a glass of water for him. Finally, they packed the body up from downstairs and took it. The father came over and gave Warren a big hug and said, I couldn't have made it without you. What did he do that day? He was just there. He was that piece, that little obscure piece over here in that jigsaw puzzle where God had formulated him to be, to bring encouragement to that man that day. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I don't want to be that missing piece in that puzzle that distracts or distorts the great picture that God has designed. I was in the military right after Bible college, went in the Air Force, went into electronics, and I was assigned, my third assignment was Santa Rosa Island, right out from Santa Barbara, California. The Air Force had an early warning radar site out there. 250, 300 guys on the island operating the radar and some radios. Well, one day, if you're familiar with the military at all, you have officers and you have enlisted people. I was enlisted. Enlisted in the officers sat in a different part of the dining hall, etc. Well, I'm sitting in the enlisted man's section, and the base commander comes in and comes over and sits right across from me at the table. Whoops. That's not supposed to be done. Finally, he uh, talked a little bit, and yes, sir, no, sir, and all that good stuff. And Finally, he said, I was looking at your records the other day. Uh-oh. He said, I see you went to Bible college. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, we don't have a chaplain out here on the island. I'd like to see us start having chapel services. Would you be our chaplain? Hey, fools rush in where angels fear to tread, and I said, you bet. <laughs> well, a lot of different things went along with it. But that year, we saw several people come to know Christ. Several people who were Christians that weren't really living for the Lord because we had a good nucleus. But one day I was sitting in the dining hall, and GIs being a bunch what they are, they started ragging on me about being a religious kook and all that good stuff. And I got wrapped up in a little pity party, feeling sorry for myself. Poor me, here I am trying to do something, and all I do is get ragged on by these guys, and oh, I just started feeling sorry for myself. I gave all good Sunday school answers back to them, but that was about it. Finally, they left. This guy that was sitting off to one side came up to me and said, Jim, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? I was so wrapped up in myself, in my pity party, I said, oh, forget it, and walked out the door. That day, in that giant big jigsaw puzzle of life, I was a missing piece. God is faithful. A few weeks later, if you're familiar with the military, you have promotion cycles where they say, okay, you can promote so many people in this specialty or whatever. And after the promotion cycle, I was sitting there talking with this Sergeant Durbin. And he looked at me and said, Jim, do you know how I pick out those I'm going to promote? I said, I haven't got a clue. 
He says, I promote people who make mistakes. What? He said, think about it. The people who don't do anything don't make any mistakes. I want people who are willing to do something, who are willing to take some risk. And if they do, they're going to make some mistakes. Now, he said, it depends on the mistakes they make, how often they make the same one, etc. So then I got to thinking. Did Peter ever make any mistakes? And who did God promote to be head of the early church? Yeah. But you know, sometimes Peter is accused of making a mistake on one instance where I really don't think he made a mistake. Now, I'm going to go against probably something Jim has taught you or somebody else has taught, but anyway. Remember the disciples were going across the lake at night during a storm, and Jesus came walking on the water to them? And they, like he was going to go by, and they, oh, who is it? And finally Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, have me come to you on the water. Okay. Jesus said, come on. Now, I've often wondered, was Peter barefoot or did he have sandals on? Now, I've been on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, for some reason, a lot of areas have rolling waves. The Sea of Galilee has real sharp waves, especially during a storm. Now, can you picture Peter stepping out of that boat on those waves? And when we were there, they, the waves were two and a half, three feet high. And that was a calm day. What if he had a storm, he had four or five foot waves. He's riding on those waves, ah, trying to dig in and keep himself from falling on that rough water. And you picture him digging his toes in, trying to... Eh, eh, eh. And it says he looked down. Well, can you picture yourself maybe more standing on top of a bucking horse out in the middle of an arena? Would you look down? Yeah. That'd be about the equivalent. Peter started to sink. Now, Peter had three choices at that point in time. I failed again. Glub, 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 glub. Or he could have turned around and swam back to the boat. We know in other places Peter could swim. Why didn't he just back to the boat? No, what did he do? Jesus, help me. And guess what? Jesus reached out and picked him up and they walked on water. Now, I guarantee you, if you're going to be involved in ministry, when you're willing to step out, the going's going to get rough. It's going to happen. Now, Peter, before he stepped out, he asked Jesus, Jesus, do you want me to do this? Before we ever get involved in any ministry, that's the first thing we should ask. Jesus, is this what you want me to do? Okay, he got out there, the going got rough. He could have said, I'm a failure. I'm never going to do this again. Or he could have gone forward in his own strength. Or he'd call out and say, Jesus, help me. And Jesus helped him. What are we going to do? Now, Peter could have said, I quit. And he would have been forever a missing piece in that jigsaw puzzle. He would not have had the privilege of leading thousands of people to Jesus Christ. He would not have had the privilege of leading the early church if he had just quit. But no, he didn't quit. He kept on going. He kept doing that which he knew God wanted him to do. God promotes those who make mistakes. 
The greatest mistake is to be forever that missing piece in that gigantic, dynamic, ever-changing jigsaw puzzle picture of life. A couple verses to consider. Psalms 37, 4 and 5. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do it. I do not believe that means, when it says to delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean if I desire a seven-point bull elk this hunting season, and I'm delighting in God, he's going to give me a seven-point bull elk. No. I think what that really means is if I'm truly delighting in God, the desires I have will be God-given desires. <laughs> to delight means a high degree of pleasure or enjoyment, rapture, satisfaction. Am I truly raptured by God? Do I delight in him? Do I delight in the Lord? Is he important to me? Psalms 30, 23, 6. End of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, etc. But the last verses, last verse it says, Surely goodness and mercy, or loving kindness, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're all going to leave this earth, and we're all going to leave a legacy of some kind. When we leave here, what are we going to be remembered for? The psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy. If you look at those two words, and then you look at, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you compare that, and you look in your concordance on surely goodness and mercy in Psalms, almost identical description of those words. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life every day? How do I know what peace I am supposed to be in that gigantic, dynamic, ever-changing jigsaw puzzle of life? How do I know? Am I supposed to be over here? Over here? Down here? Where? If I am truly delighting in God, he will give me the proper desires. I will also be exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. I will be committing my ways to the Lord, and he will bring it to pass, putting me in the right place at the right time, doing that which he formulated me to be and to do for his glory. Let me read that one more time. If I am truly delighting in God, he will give me the proper desires. I will also be exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. I will be committing my ways to the Lord, and he will bring it to pass, putting me in the right place at the right time, doing that which he formulated me to be and to do for his glory. My responsibility is not who am I or why am I me? Why can't I sing? Why can't I have a good memory? No. My responsibility is what I do with what God has uniquely formulated me to be. He formulated me. I am to be what he's formulated me to be. Some of you may be able to preach Pastor Brian's sermons. Some of you may be able to sing Mark Almond's songs. But I am the way I am. I am who I am. Because for his glory, that is the way God wanted me to be in that gigantic, dynamic, ever-changing jigsaw puzzle picture of life.